0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. The Bible says this, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and for 40 nights, he was hungry. I'm just gonna add my vote to let this be the most obvious verse in the Bible. We do a 21-day fast at the beginning of January, and I'm not sure how this works for Jesus after being hungry after the 40 days, because I feel like the moment we announce that we're doing a fast, all I can think about is food. It's just the start of the, the, it's like the moment we say, hey, church, we're fasting, it's like three hours in, I'm like crippled, over in pain, hungry. Bible says that after 40 days, Jesus was hungry. Verse three says, And the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's pray one more time. God, I thank you for your word today. And I thank you for the gift that it is to us. And pray, Lord, that you would speak to us as we open your word, that we would hear clearly your voice. God, I pray that we wouldn't just understand it today, but you would help us to stand under it, to apply it to our lives. It would fall on good soil. You'd speak to us the way that we need to hear and change us as a result from the inside out. And we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we don't have um, all the time in the world to work through this entire passage today. There's much that has been written About the temptation of Jesus, there's much that can be said about it. There's certainly a great wealth of knowledge and wisdom and insight given to this passage. Of course, that would be the temptations of Jesus and how he overcome. Three times the enemy would come to him and try and tempt him with a variety of temptations. And each time Jesus is tempted, he responds with the words, it is written. And there's a parallel clearly here in this passage to the Old Testament story of how Israel failed and how Jesus became um, really the, the, the victory there. It mirrors that biblical narrative. It also, the Hebrews tells us that Jesus has been tempted in every way as we are. And so Jesus beginning to identify with our struggle and not just struggling with us, but overcoming on behalf of us and really taking the victory in our place, identifying in that way so that we have a God that not just is powerful, but a God that can relate to us and that cares. And today I wanna to just take this passage of scripture and really paint a picture for us to talk to us, not just about temptation, but to talk to us about spiritual hunger. And I wanna talk about using this, these four verses really to talk about something that I think is so key in our faith and really speak to you from this title, Hungry for God, hungry for God. Now this is an interesting start to the story. It is an incredible and really a a crazy sequence of events. The Bible just right before this in Matthew 3 and really a lot of the gospels says that Jesus has just been baptized in the Jordan River. And there as Jesus steps onto the scene for his public ministry, John the Baptist prepares the way. They meet in the Jordan waters and Jesus there gets baptized. And the Bible says that the heavens open up, the voice of the Father speaks to Jesus and says that this is my son in whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And the Bible says that there in that moment, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove and filled him. It's an incredible moment, certainly would have been remarkable to witness all three persons of the Trinity there present that day. And now Jesus stepping onto the stage for the very first time really in his public life, Mark, the Gospel of Mark even says that immediately this happened. Jesus, probably still dripping with the waters of the Jordan, says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, let's just check here for a moment. Does your Bible say the same thing that mine does? That Jesus was led by God to be tempted by the devil. How does this work? This is crazy to me, the, the same Holy Spirit that is our comforter, our counselor, our advocate, our strength, our helper led Jesus into the wilderness? How is it that Jesus could be led by God to be tempted by the devil? His ministry didn't begin with preaching. His ministry didn't begin with travel. His ministry didn't begin by working miracles. His ministry began by entering the wilderness of temptation. I just want to pause here for a moment and encourage somebody today. If, if you have heard that, that God following Jesus won't lead you into difficulty, I want to tell you that you've been lied to. Often we will talk about God's will as the path of least resistance, moments of glory, moments of provision, moments of miracles. But I just think it's really, really important for us to understand today that following Jesus also means following him into the wilderness. It means following him into seasons that are dry, that are desolate, that are dark, that feel dead. as part of what it means to be a Jesus follower. I could feel you in the room right now just going, my goodness, why did we come to church today? I knew we should have gone to that other place. This guy's always mad at us. I'm not mad. I love you. But if we think that following Jesus is just... to to live a life that is easy and, and struggle free. You've been lied to. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, we think of the wilderness as if we've done something wrong. But this wilderness for Jesus was different. See, this wasn't the wilderness that Moses would find himself hidden in the back corner of a desert, struggling with doubt. This wasn't the same wilderness that Israel was wandering through for 40 years as a result of their disobedience. No, this wilderness was different. This wilderness was a God-appointed, spirit-led wilderness that Jesus entered into, not because of his disobedience, but because of his perfect obedience. I want to tell you today, the will of God is not always easy. It's not always agreeable. The will of God is not always blessed. But Jesus goes from being filled with the Holy Spirit confident in his calling to then experiencing the glory of God and in the very next moment is led into the wilderness. Why is this the case? Because I think so often in our faith, there are lessons that can only be learned in the wilderness. There are things that God would have for us to learn that can't be learned in any other season. It takes a wilderness to learn some things. And one of the lessons I want to talk to you about, one of those wilderness lessons is how to be hungry for God. I think the wilderness teaches us how to hunger after God. And I think the reason that God would have for us to teach us this, and even for us to allow a moment to allow God to challenge our hearts today is to really speak to this idea of hunger. Because I've just learned in my life, what you hunger after is what you will be led by. Whatever you're hungry for, you'll be led by. That's why Jesus in the next chapter begins to teach and begins to, there at the Sermon of the Mount, give his preeminent teaching on what it means to be a Jesus follower and the things that God celebrates and what it means to follow in his way. And Jesus says this in verse six, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, hunger is a central part of our faith. And the challenge for all of us, I think, is to, like Jesus says in this verse, is to learn in one hand how to be filled, but on the other hand, to never lose our hunger. And the challenge is to hold those things in tension, to be filled and to stay hungry. I know it can sound like a contradiction. I promise I'm not trying to be confusing. I just, I just don't know how else to say it to you today that the challenge is even when we are filled, when we experience the blessing of God, when we experience the miracle working power of our God to remain in a place where we experience God's favor and God's power and God's provision and the miracles of God, we take that. And even though we may be filled, we never lose our hunger. See, this is the pattern of faith is that we can be filled, but we can never lose our hunger because the moment we lose our hunger, we begin to grow stale and we begin to begin to settle and begin to have a experience with God that only existed back when the moment when God did this. But the challenge for us is to not lose our hunger for God. And even in moments where we can experience God's blessing, you know what I've learned so often in my life? is that the Holy Spirit will fill us in one way or another, and often the very next step is right into the wilderness. Whenever we experience a blessing, experience a miracle, often I've found that the very next step, God will lead us right into the wilderness. Said another way, we can enjoy God on the mountaintop, but we encounter him in the wilderness. And that's what I wanna deal with today encountering God, learning to hunger after God. Here's the first thing I wanna say. Temptation always comes when you're hungry. Temptation always comes when you're hungry. Listen to this again. After fasting for 40 days, he he was hungry and the devil said. He was hungry and the devil said. He was hungry and the devil said. Are you catching what I'm laying down today? Presumably, the moment that Jesus was at his hungriest, the voice of the devil was the loudest. Presumably, the devil waited to open his dirty little mouth until Jesus was hungry. See, temptation comes to us when we are hungry. You know what I'm talking about. You ever go grocery shopping when you haven't eaten dinner? Walking through the aisles of some grocery stores can feel like spiritual warfare. Sometimes I'll go to the grocery store not having eaten. I find myself so hungry and I'm looking down at my cart and it's double stuffed Oreos and cheesy puffs. And I have to, it's like, not not today, devil. I gotta take that under control. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. (laughs) Why? Because when you're hungry, that's when the devil speaks. And it's a silly example, but it's the truth. I don't think I've ever met anybody that has been tempted when they are rested or fulfilled or surrounded by community or on a mission. In fact, every temptation counseling young adults, even in my life, every temptation is often comes to us when we are tired or weary or alone or frustrated or confused. Because this is what I've learned about temptation. I just think it's important for us to understand today that hunger isn't necessarily an issue, but this is just the way that it works, is when we are hungry, the devil will speak. Why? Because every temptation at its core is really an exploited appetite. Every temptation is an exploited appetite, whether it be an appetite for significance, an appetite for security, an appetite for intimacy, an appetite for pleasure or for anything else. The enemy will use that as an open door to try and deceive us, taking what might be a legitimate need and using an illegitimate means to fill us and to deceive us and to lead us away from God. Look at the way that even sin entered the world. It entered the world through an appetite. The proverbial apple that Eve ate in the garden. It was an appetite that the enemy exploited to begin to call into question who they were and what God had said. And see, it was their very hunger that led them to listen to the voice of the serpent for him to begin to say, did God really say that? Surely God couldn't have meant that. And see, often when we are the hungriest is when the enemy will speak the loudest. And I think really what happened in the garden that day at the very beginning of the Bible is the enemy saying to us and to Adam and Eve, do you really believe that you can trust God to meet your every need? Because so often that's how temptation comes into our life. Do you really believe that you can trust God to meet this need? The one that you feel so strongly about, the one that you're struggling so much with, Because the reality is any time that appetite is left unsatisfied, it will drive us in one direction or another. This is the the way that appetites work. I was traveling recently. I was on a flight back to the East Coast and I had landed in, in an airport pretty late at night. And I just say among the worst places to be when you are hungry is 11 p.m. at the Orlando airport. Anytime you are hungry in the airport, it's a bad, bad sign. We landed and I knew the place that I was going wasn't going to have food. So there, a lot of the places were closed. It's not a huge airport. So I'm going around and I'm looking for something to eat. And there's this appetite that is consuming me and I'm just looking for something. And you know what? When you're hungry at the airport, you'll, get, you'll take anything. That you, you'll pay $26 for that nasty ham sandwich. <laughs> Two little slices of meat and American cheese wrapped in Saran wrap. But you know what? You'll eat that thing like it's a filet mignon. Because this is the thing. Hunger, it begins to drive us. And this is what I've learned. Hunger, either you will direct it or it will direct you. That's the reality about every appetite that we have. Either we can direct it or it will direct us. And I've seen it time and time again. So often, even counseling young adults and being in ministry for a long time, I've, I've just seen it played out in so many people's lives that if they lose their appetite for God, oftentimes they'll settle for appetites in many other areas, particularly below the belt. You lose your appetite for God, you start living for all kinds of different appetites, taking what might feel legitimate, might feel like a legitimate need, but using illegitimate means leading us further and further away from God. And it wasn't that the hunger is bad, it's that it's exploited to get us into a bad trade, to try and get us to trade real fulfillment for instant gratification, trying to get us to trade real intimacy for cheap thrills, trying to get us to trade what is eternal for something temporary, trading something that gives us life for something that only takes it away and leads to death. This was the problem for Esau. We can read that story and think, why would you trade your birthright for a cup of soup? That sounds really dumb. But you know what, that's my point this morning, is that when you're hungry, you're tempted to do dumb things. That's what I think the lesson is, is that the enemy, right when we're hungry, that's when the enemy will step in to exploit our appetite as an opportunity to lead us into bondage. Dylan, is my mic working this morning? Did y'all hear what I said? often the place that we are hungriest, the enemy will exploit us and lead us right into bondage. And this is the place that the devil appears to Jesus saying, if you are the son of God. Of course, that statement shouldn't be called into question. Just 40 years earlier, 40 days earlier, Jesus heard the voice of his father father speak those very words. Saying, you are my son. I think it's interesting there that what God spoke at Jesus's baptism now in the wilderness, the enemy is calling it into question. But thankfully, Jesus knew the truth. Jesus knew the truth because he is the truth. Jesus knew the word because he is the word. The word of God made flesh, the incarnate, the living word, the embodiment of the whole counsel of scripture. I love that each time Jesus is tempted, he responds with the words, it is written. I think it's a powerful thing for us to begin to understand this morning. Every time temptation came to Jesus, he said, it is written. And we can think, yeah, of course, because it's Jesus. But let me just remind you today, Jesus isn't just our savior. He is also our example. He's also our pattern of living. And Jesus begins to combat every temptation with it is written. What are you saying to us this morning? I'm saying to you this. the, The less time you spend with truth, the easier it is to believe lies. The less time you spend with truth, the easier it is to believe lies. Christians are called to be people of truth. Called to carry the truth called to know the truth as Jesus said in John eight, because the truth is what sets us free. And the ultimate standard of truth is the Bible. Every time I get the opportunity to step onto this stage, I wanna make a big deal about this book because there's such an attack on the word of God in our world today. Because I think if the enemy can keep us in in, in ignoring or in ignorance of what the truth says, so often he can keep us in bondage, susceptible to temptation. But Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. See, truth isn't just about where it is present. Truth is about where it is known. That's what I just wanna say. You know what, I love this book. I love the Bible. And I think so often we live in such a place, there is such an epidemic of biblical illiteracy, we have lost what the book says. We don't know any longer what the book says. We know what the pastor says about it, or we know what Instagram says about it, or we hear a couple scriptures that we've learned to quote, but we have lost sight of the book. I just want to say, if we lose sight of what the Bible says, we lose sight of truth. John Calvin said this, he said, all truth is God's truth. What are you saying? The converse is true also. That if if it's not in the Bible, guess what? It's not true. And that's why we have to understand because there is such an attack on truth, redefining truth, reinterpreting truth. But I wish there would be some people today that can get that kind of conviction to say, "You know what? I know what it says, and it is written." It is written. We got to know. Because the less time we spend with it, the easier it is to believe lies. Abraham Lincoln said it like this. The most difficult thing about the internet is verifying which quotes are true. (laughs) Just checking to see if you're awake. Someone at the 9 a.m. said, I think your slides are wrong. I said, I think you were sleeping. I don't wanna just camp out here, but I want us to understand this because I think it's important for us to say, we have to know what the Bible says because even the devil is good at quoting scripture. Yeah. Twisting the scripture. And he is so cunning that what the devil will do is he will use perfectly good facts to tell a lie and he will use even the Bible contrary to the purpose of God. Let me explain it to you like this. So often we will settle for understanding the Bible instead of standing under it. We'll settle for understanding it instead of standing under it. That's the danger of good preaching. You know, good preaching can be deceiving. Not because of false content, but because it can keep us in false living. And we can so often confuse obedience with appreciation. Or we can confuse agreement with application, thinking just because it sounds good or just because it rhymes, then we have known the truth. But the proof that something is true is not just whether you can understand it or whether you can say amen to it. The proof that something is true is whether or not you can live on it. That's what truth is. James deals with this in the early church. James 1.22, he says this, don't just be hearers of the word, he says be doers of the word. Because if we hear it and don't do it, we deceive ourselves. And that's so often the danger is because understanding is only half the battle. We can understand it, but we also need to stand under it. Because if we hear it, but don't live it, it becomes a trap. And this is the trap. The trap is that it uses truth to keep us living a lie. And that's the danger that we're so often faced with is that we will even take perfectly good truths to keep us living a lie. And that's why we need to understand today that as we begin to open up the scriptures, this isn't just something that we can come and hear on a Sunday, but something that should change us, that we can live out and build our life upon. Go back to Matthew four, verse three, look at this again. It says, the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And the enemy comes to Jesus when he's hungry, weak in a weakened physical state, in the middle of preparation. And as I began to study this this week, I realized not only how intense the temptation of Jesus was, but really the level of, de- the depth of deceit that the enemy would try and use. Because the enemy doesn't just come to Jesus with a lie. He probably could have sniffed that out. The enemy comes to Jesus, watch me, with a previous miracle. Now track with me here, because so often what, what begins to happen is, is, is that the greatest enemy to what God wants to do today is what God would do yesterday. And Jesus and the devil would have known that this wasn't the first time that bread appeared by miracle in the wilderness. See, this temptation really points to a story in Exodus chapter 16 of of the manna from heaven. And there for 40 years, Israel wandering through the wilderness, having no way to provide for themselves. The Bible says that God miraculously provided for them. Every morning that they would wake up, they would go outside and on the ground, there would be a covering of a bread that, that the Bible says tasted like honey. It was like heavenly frosted flakes. And every day they would wake up and walk out of their tent and they would say, let's get this bread. Sorry, I had to do that one. (laughs) But God miraculously provided for them. And the miracle of the manna in the wilderness is that for 40 years, God sustained and provided for his people. Providing for them in their wandering. And here again, the devil is saying, why don't you just do that miracle again? The devil is saying you're in the desert, you're in the wilderness, you're hungry, you're in need. And after all, doesn't the word of God promise you that you'll be blessed and highly favored? Doesn't the word of God promise you that you'll get protection and guidance and provision and miracles? So look around you, Jesus, why are you struggling like this? Why do you let yourself go hungry? Why don't you just do the manna thing again and watch me provide for yourself? See, that's the temptation. What the enemy is trying to bait Jesus in doing is to prove his identity out of an insecurity. I thought, man, how many times have I fallen into this same temptation? How how much hurt have I caused trying to prove who I am? How much trouble in my life have I caused thinking that I am what I do, trying to prove my identity out of an insecurity. There's been a lot of hurt caused by that, a lot of dumb stuff I've done thinking who I am is based on what I do. Let me just help some people today. Your value is not in what you do or what you don't do. Your worth is not in the evaluation of others. If you understand who you are in God's eyes, you don't need to prove it in anybody else's eyes. And this is the temptation is we can so often fall into the trap of trying to prove who we are. Let me just help this young adult section here. You don't need to post it to prove it. If you understand who you are in God's eyes, you don't need to prove it in anybody else's eyes. That's the truth today. And So Jesus answers the devil. And he says, it is written, man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me tell you why this is so powerful, because I don't think turning stones into bread was, was the point. It wasn't even that it was a sin. It wasn't just something like made up, like, oh, Jesus must have been so hungry, so go get some miracle in and out. I think it was much, much deeper than that. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even the miracle of the manna in the wilderness. It was, it was trying to turn stones into bread. It was that, it, the sin in that is that it was a substitute. It was to try and get Jesus to fail in the same way that Israel failed, to trust the bread over the word. The temptation, I'm here to tell you today, the temptation is what you trust in. That's what the enemy's after. That's what the enemy will try and exploit your appetite for is to target your trust. And sure, we may not have the same same temptation of turning stones into bread, but we do this all the time. We try and take something and turn it into something that it's not. We try and take a relationship and turn it into fulfillment. Try and take money and turn it into security. Try and take stuff. But you're never supposed to trust in the stuff you're supposed to trust in the source that's the point that's what jesus tells us you know what jesus says he says i don't hunger for what god can do i hunger for what god has said i don't live by that man doesn't live by bread alone he's saying i don't trust in that i don't just trust god when there's blessing and provision i trust god even when it's difficult. I trust God even when it's dark, even when it feels like I can't see, even when it feels like everything around me is dead. I still trust God because this is what I live on. And when I'm stuck between my, my circumstance and my conviction, I hang on to every word that God has spoken. I trust God when it's difficult. I trust God when I'm weary. I trust God when I'm in the wilderness. And I'm not just in this for a miracle. I'm gonna live on every word that God has spoken. I'm gonna build my faith on every word that God has spoken. I wish there could be some people today that would give me a witness to say, I've been through the wilderness and I've learned what it is to trust God at his word. Come on, take 10 seconds and give God praise. It's what we build our life on. And hear me today. I'll be the first one to stand with you and believe for a miracle. I believe in the miracle working power of our God. Let me me just tell you, if you're faced with something today, you're in the right spot, you're in a good church that believes that God still speaks and that God still works miracles. We don't build our faith on miracles. We build our faith on what God says. Don't make a bad deal, turning this into a substitute. I don't think we, we don't have to live miracle to miracle if we would simply live under the truth of his word. And I want the kind of faith that's hungry for what God has said, not just what God can do. Psalm 23, verse one is the last scripture I'll read today. You know, the old psalm. it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Don't think this Psalm is saying that we don't have wants or that we don't have needs. I think it's saying that our need for God is greater than any other. And it's not that we're not hungry. It's that God is greater than any other hunger in our life. Because if he is my provider, if he is my shepherd, I have no reason to want. Why? Because I can depend on him. And even when everything may not be easy, but I know everything I need is found in him. See, this is the message I'm preaching you today, is that hunger is a gift that drives us to God. And I just wonder if you can pay attention maybe to the things that you've been so hungry for to think about what your hunger is leading you to, driving you to, where your hunger has been directing your life. Where's your hunger in today? Because hunger can either lead us to God or it can lead us really far away from God. Right when we're hungry in the wilderness, feeling like we're in need, is the place that the enemy would try and bait us avoiding our appetite to say, do you really trust that God can provide your need? Jesus says, I do because I live on what God has spoken to me. Even if he doesn't, I still trust his goodness. I still believe in his faithfulness. I still am hungry for his presence. February 8th, there was a read routine chapel service on the campus of Asbury University. And after the message, the soccer coach who had preached texted his wife that morning and said that the message that he preached was the latest total flop. Most of the crowd left that day, but a small group of students stayed behind to get their hearts right with God and simply to pray and to worship. And as the day went on, more and more students returned to the chapel after describing in their hearts what seemed to be a stirring and a hunger for God. What happened was days became over three weeks in which hundreds and thousands of people flocked to Wilmore, Kentucky to experience uninterrupted worship, the confession of sins, salvation, and a lingering in the presence of God. And all of it was unplanned, it's unbudgeted for, unexpected, unpromoted, No no hype, no name, no band, no guests, not even a follow-up step for people. It's just Jesus and a people hungering after God's presence. We've seen it happen around college campuses, seen it happen around our churches. To some degree, we're seeing it happen every time we gather in the morning for worship. I think it's that hunger that God is leading his people back to today. Here's what I want you to consider in your life. You came in the room today, maybe faced with what seems like a wilderness season. Could it be that God is leading you into the wilderness so you can get your hunger for Him back? Could it be that God is leading you into the wilderness season so you can learn what it is to hunger after Him alone? Because if I have everything else and I don't have God, then I missed it. What is it to succeed in ministry if I've missed God's presence? What is it to succeed in my life if I've missed God? C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if you aim at heaven, you'll get the earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you'll get neither. So where's your hunger at today? I wonder if there'd be some people that would be hungry enough for God's presence just simply to sit and linger in God's presence. To sit and pursue the presence of God. To say, it's just Jesus that I'm after. I only want God's presence in my life. Not feeling, not emotion. See, the story of Jesus tells us the wilderness was not just to be tempted, the wilderness was to learn how to hunger after God, how to hunger for God above anything else. He wasn't just fasting. See, every area that Moses failed, what took the people of Israel 40 years, Jesus did in 40 days because he understood what it is. I've got nothing if I don't have the presence of God. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.